What's going on, guys? Welcome to the latest episode of Can I Kick It? Brought to you by me, Yogi. And into studio today, we have the coolest up-and-coming podcast, uh, Ms. Courtney Smith. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I cannot complain. You know, it's Sunday. It's a little wrong outside. I had a flag football game, so I am ready to go back and lay in my bed. <laughs> I feel that I've been watching a lot of soccer and also uh, just March Madness and also the women's game. So it's been a big sports weekend for me. First of all, I want to say my condolences to UVA, um, you know, getting knocked out in the first round. I don't know how we won a (laughs) national championship, if I'm being honest. Sometimes I think about it and I'm like, I don't know how we did this. But also, like, this is my thing. When we're going to look back at this year, all we're going to think about is COVID and like COVID sports. And I'm like, even when I think about sports over the past year, what's honestly the number one thing I'm still going to think about COVID. So it's like, I'm not that mad at it. Also, we're going to do better. And like, I've also come to realize sometimes with college basketball and like implementing systems and things like that, you need to be in person. And we had not played together literally for a week. Cause we had a, like one of our players had COVID. Oh, we like yeah, barely made the tournament. That doesn't help at all. It was a mess. Yeah, that but... doesn't help at all. Yeah. <sighs> well, Courtney, I brought you on today's episode because on y'all podcast, The Sport of the United, I think it was like episode one or two, you guys started talking about Hope Powell. And it kind of intrigued my um, interest. And I was like, hmm, let me look up on it. And her story is kind of fascinating. So, of course, you know, I sent the DM. And I was like, all right, let me see if I can get in contact with these guys and have them come on. And luckily we did. So that's why I have you on. Thank you for having me. So um, I really feel like with Courtney, we should probably get started at like the early part of her career because there's a lot that happens with her. Like in the early part of her career that kind of gets her for- gets her going moving forward. Um, one of the things that kind of stuck out to me is like, I think it was at the age of 11, she got told, like, yeah, you can't play with the uh, co-ed team anymore. Like, they pretty much, like, kicked her off of the co-ed team. And I, that's something, like, like when I read that, I was like, wait, what? Like, why would they kick her off? I'm thinking, like, oh, she had poor grades or she had a fight. No, they were just like, you're a girl. You can't play anymore. <laughs> the interesting thing about that, too, is when I was, like, doing my reading and doing my research, it wasn't even, like, they kicked her off um, – because she was a girl but like one of the coaches wanted her back because she was like really talented and obviously we can see this because she's had like a fantastic playing career so it's just like I mean it's just crazy to me that they're like you're a girl we don't want you even though she was like probably one of the better players on the team and also the entire backdrop of like not allowing women to play football in England in general it's like I mean like I, I don't know I just think about what had happened if she was like okay fine I'm just not going to play anymore and like you know, <laughs> like the historical domino effect of like she actually just decided not to play football. See, Courtney, you already get it into the gist of the show because we go down the rabbit hole a lot and I open up Pandora <laughs> box a lot. But like that is like a great thing to think about because like how many more women got affected by this where they were so great at their, you know, youth team or like club team set up when they were kids, but they got told like for just a stupid reason, yeah, we you can't play anymore. Like that's that's insane. Like how many future athletes that we've lost just because of their gender, something that they can't control, like they can't play anymore. Yeah, it's a mess. And unfortunately, this isn't 
a thing that's unique to England. Um, I know specifically Brazil, also Germany, France, um, Spain for a little bit. And also, if I'm remembering correctly, Italy, they all like outlawed women's football for like uh, decades and decades. I know with England, they finally opened it back up in like 1971, 1972. Um, but really that was a backdrop for a lot of these things. And if we think about like the global game and specifically like the, you know, the women's national team, just like for the U.S. just being like dominating. And like, to be fair, we also have incredible players. <laughs> like, let's be real, like, it's not like the players aren't great, but it's also that at that time where like there was no one in the States, to be fair, because no one really was paying attention to soccer in the States, but there was no one telling girls that they couldn't play. And so around that time when England was finally coming, like they had stopped, like it stopped being outlawed. Um, I was kind of similarly with Brazil and um, also with Germany, like in the 1970s, it was like women kind of are starting like being allowed to play football. At that time, you also see the passage of Title IX and how that has really grown the game um, across the board in the States. And so when you think about that through line in between them and Hope Powell often talks about this growing up, she couldn't play football, but she knew she loved it. Like that was her thing. Like she just knew she loved it she didn't know how she was like going to be involved with the game because, you know, they didn't have clubs. It wasn't like anything like you see now, no, um, you know, no academy systems, no huge professional clubs, really no, like maybe you could be a journalist and report about football. But besides that, you know, there was really no path forward, but she loved the game. Luckily, you know, she went got back on that team and really started playing. Um, I think with Millwall ladies, and around the age of uh, 17 is when she was like, I really want to commit my time to this. I still don't know, like, am I going to have a playing career? Is that even possible? Because um, around this time, it was like probably, I would say, six or seven years after they had started allowing women to play football. And so she got her coaching license. And really up until she stopped playing, she was a, actually a coach part-time while playing um, football. Yeah, I saw that. Like, I think she got a coach license at what, like nineteen, like super early. Um, and then eventually, like down the line, I think in two thousand three, she became the first female to get like her UEFA Pro license, which is like yeah. crazy. Yeah, she's the first of many things, actually. Um, and it's really interesting to me also that, um, she she was the first, but also she was like the. I want to say the first black woman too, um, especially in England and us seeing, for example, how white the game is now. Um, so it's really, I mean, it is really surprising to me that, I mean, it's surprising to me, but also not surprising to me that she was like, you know, the first to get her, her way for pro license. I think she was, um, I actually have it here on my phone. I have like a huge list of facts of things that she did, but she was like the second woman inducted into the English football hall of fame um you know first woman like to ever have a full-time like the first ever woman full-time coach appointed for England women team and like her uh, like her effect on the women's game in England is huge yeah like her effect on the women's game is pretty much she just developed the whole um England's women's national team I think like in what 31 she got named the manager of the English national team like you said previously, she was the first woman and the first non-white person to get the position after uh, Copeland quit. I think during qualifying or something, he quit. Um, mm. But pretty much she created the whole structure of England for the women's side. Like from you 
15 all the way to U23, the coaching mentoring scheme, and the uh, FA's National Player Center at, I hope I say this right, Lundborough <laughs> University. Like, she pretty much is the reason why Lucy Bronze and all of them were able to have the deep run in the World Cup in uh, 2018. And it's unique to see. Like, she is the forefounder for this. Yeah, and I, uh, she has this one quote saying that when she came in, there they basically had a team and a half, and then she was like, no, and so it really did establish that entire scheme, which is great. And she also kind of did something similar when she was appointed to um, Brighton Hope Albion's to was appointed to be the coach of their women's team. Also, then like helped set up their academy system um, and things like that because she has she's um, said a few times that she loves like uh, teaching and nurturing homegrown talent. And so like a lot, like for for Brighton, but also for England, she is literally the reason like that they have you know youth systems and things like that yeah like it, it's crazy to see like the impact she has and you don't think about it i kind of i always want to say she reminds me not of uh leakin phillips who we did like oh. one of our first episodes and about how you don't realize it till you look at like how much her impact is on so many like her hand touches a lot of stuff and it's like yo without this this doesn't happen without this this doesn't happen and it's, it's unique in to see um but what was the point i was about to make like <laughs> i think at one point in time she even got nominated or like questioned about did you want to become the manager at grisby uh t- grisby mm-hmm. town which is in you know i think lead to it over in england and she almost got the job but then you know they went on of course to hire the man but she was like very close to becoming like the first female manager in england for a men's squad um and that you know in itself would have been crazy to see yeah totally and and that one thing also makes me think about for example um you know emma hayes chelsea women's manager is she's a phenomenal manager and also it's like there was also brought up because she was doing so well with chelsea they're like oh is she going to be because like when that happened it was a question of like oh is she going to be the first female manager to take over a men's team and like you know coach a men's team um and the interesting thing about that now look like looking back at that moment but also what emma hay said now is like it's like you can be a top coach in the women's game and still be a top coach like going up to the men's is not a step up like and i mean for brighton it's a little bit different because they do have a lot of um homegrown talent and just like english players but you know you think about for example emma hayes is like she has world-class talent and so that like to me that comparison of oh well what's the next step for them like or that next step up that they should be aiming for is being a coach in the men's game when it's like no the women's game is fantastic on its own like um and so it like to me that's like something that you shouldn't like it shouldn't be ascribed on female coaches of like oh like for them to be legit they have to coach a men's team it's like they're great coaches anyway. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like, I think it was the case over in Germany for Ruzi and Munch Gladbach about how U twenty one coach. <laughs> I can already see <laughs> like how the U twenty one coach got. It was like, hey, as a punishment, not like, oh, you're gonna, you know, two weeks suspension or anything like that. Like, you're gonna go coach the women's team. It's like, wait, what? Like, that's that that's your solution? Like, <sighs> yeah. That, I mean, I think a lot of um, people, I know, for example, a lot of, like, Germany 
female players dragged him like right like or not him but the um the, like the the regional FA because I think that's who made the like gave him his punishment but it's like coaching women's football is not charity work like this isn't a this shouldn't be a punishment for you <laughs> like I really want to know like what went through that thought process with that was like all right we have these three things you can do you can either serve a two-week suspension get dog pay or coach the women's football team who's like women's football team I'll take that <laughs> like, right. it just like oh like I need people to think before they actually say certain things or do certain things. I need I need people to think. Um, so real quick, like about her, I want to put a bookmark on like her England career because there's one other point that I want to bring up. But her playing career, and I don't know, maybe you could talk about this, but like it seems to be like Wilmot, Millwall, Millwall lionesses <laughs> are like. They seem to have like every prominent English football player in the in their system some way somehow, but they never keep them mm. for like super long. Like they get right. them, move them along. But um, that's what she started off at, and then she went to Friends of Fulham, who later turned into Fulham LFC, and then she mm. went back to Millwall, which I found out she was the club's leading goal scorer, mm. and like she was. And this is the thing, like, I wish I could find more information about, but of course, it's the women's game. You know, people didn't really track stuff, but yeah. like, the, the division she was playing in, was it the, like, the top division? Like, was it, like, the WSL pretty much? Or was it just, like, lower semi-pro? Yeah, so, so basically, here, let me give you a scheme of what now the professional structure is like in England. So right now, see, for example, the before the podcast, I just want listeners to know that Corny was like really nervous about being on the podcast at first. And I told her, like, no, I bought you on here for a reason. Like, you are the expert. I need <laughs> you for this. And now she's about to become the expert. <laughs> I mean, I I mean, it's hard to find the information. I would maybe call myself a baby expert, not a full blown one, but I will say with the professional. And this is, for example, also, I mean, we have something coming up on our podcast about the diversity of all like of um the NWSL and then the top five leagues in Europe so we're doing a lot of research into the leagues and like you know kind of how they were formed and so for England um you have the it's officially called like the Barclays FAWSL basically Women's Super League um and there are two tier there are two professional tiers of that it's um the WSL, which is a top tier, and then the championship, which is the second tier. And they kind of modeled it off a little bit of on the men's side of the Premier League and the championship. Um, but those really didn't become fully professionalized. They were somewhere semi-pro and like obviously for clubs like Chelsea, Manchester, not as much Manchester City, but like Chelsea, Arsenal, um, you know, the clubs that had really successful men's side and were like probably throwing a bone to the women's side. But because the women's game was so like stratified, it was significant amount of money um at the time uh but the the wsl and championship didn't really become fully professionalized until i want to say 2017 2018 really around the time where um hopel was actually appointed for brighton um because at the time there was eight teams and they expanded to 10 and now they're it's where it is right now at uh 12 um but yeah for you know a significant amount of time um and this kind of involves coaching too, like having a semi-professional league, it, you know, it's, even though the product can be there, the fact that like these athletes have to, you know, hold other jobs and train in the evening, all of these things, um, 
so yeah, I can't really remember what your first question was. Um, but yeah, with her play, oh, with her playing career, it was um, like, I've, at least from what I can understand, it was like at the, at one of the top leagues in England, but it was like also all these players were semi-professional, even, I mean, even the fact that she was, you know, playing for England's full team and things like that, they were still like the leagues were semi-professional. And even now, if you go to the lower leagues of um, women's football in England, once you go to like the third and fourth tier, those are all still like semi-pro leagues. Yeah, I think it was, um, we did an episode on Mary Phillips. And like one point in her career, we talked about how she was playing a game, but she had to still like breastfeed her child at halftime, change his mm-hmm. diaper. And she was like, she told the manager, I was like, well, I don't think I can finish the game. And the manager was like, oh no, I'll watch the baby. You go play mm-hmm. the game. And it was like this photo of the manager holding a baby while giving out instructions. It's like uh-huh. only in the women's game. Only in the women's game. <laughs> I mean, that's very true. Like that does often happen um, in the women's game. And I think one thing that excites me about the future of the game and, uh, you know, hopefully the growth of the game is making sure that these leagues are professionalized, that you don't have to like hold a second job and think about, you know, I don't know if you're like in the game or something like that and you don't have to think like, oh my goodness, who's going to care for my baby or like all of these other external factors that can come in during practice and things like that of like, how am I going to make ends meet versus I'm being paid a, you know, a solid salary um, especially like in England uh, for the bigger clubs, like you can get paid, you know, a solid salary um, and you can, you know, fully devote your time to football. Yeah. And I think that's very important as well for, you know, for that next step to happen. Um, I, I want to ask you this question, because of course, you know, we talk about WSL. How is it over there in England when it comes to WSL and NWSL? Like, mm-hmm. is, is there any real difference in how the leagues are covered or, access to the to the sport like or are they kind of the same yeah so i would actually say the two the two function very very differently and i think part of that comes from for example just the nature of soccer in the states versus the nature of soccer like generally i'm not probably going to generalize a little bit to europe and like the bigger clubs in europe definitely um because here in the states you know it's like if we think about you know our two stars Crystal Dunn, Meg Rapino, Alex Morgan, they didn't grow up in a kind of a youth academy system that, um, you know, maybe players like, like Lucy Bronze, Chloe Kelly did. Um, and he, like even, you know, Fran Kirby, they, like our clubs function differently where for most of the women's clubs in England, um, you know, they have a male counterpart and the male counterpart supports the women's side and, um, you know, for a lot of the a lot of the bigger clubs, they now have this academy structure where you know you go from trying to, like you, let's say U eight to you know U ten, U eleven, like it goes all the way up until you are you know U twenty threes, and then uh, you hit the first team. Um, but here in the states, that is not the way it is, just from our structure. So it's like we have um, you know big individual club plays, and then you know those normally a lot of those top players. Um, go play in college and then either go to the NWSL. Um, they can go to the WUSP, WPSL. There's like a, there's a second, it's not related, but there's like another um, soccer league for women here in the States that I just can't remember off the top of my head. Um, and, you know, then let's say you graduate college and you either go like, and then you can go into the NWSL or go to Europe, something like that. 
Um, and so it's like completely different because for a lot of these players, you know, you get um, like, it's, it's just completely different. Like you're tied to a club and, you know, for the bigger clubs, like that means you have access to really great facilities and things like that. And while in the um, NWSL, you know, they want to grow and they want to have world-class facilities and stuff like that. But for example, if you are, if you go for like for like Chelsea or for Arsenal and their and their youth system and things like that, like you have access, like you know, once you get to a certain age, obviously, but like you have access to all of those um, world-class facilities. Like I know, for example, um, one thing I don't know why this just popped in my head, but like Carly Lloyd went and played for Manchester City for a few seasons, and one of the things that she loved about there was like she had access to all of Manchester City's men's team's facilities, which are, you know, huge and world-class and all of these things. And it's like the women, um, and to be fair, you know, not necessarily all of them have it. Like there are clubs that don't do that, cough, cough, Liverpool, um, where their women's team don't have access to those facilities. But I would say for, you know, the the way the two leagues came up um, is completely different. And that, while I would say the sp- style of play isn't like, you know, hugely different, but the way soccer is treated in both con- countries and the way a young person can get to a professional level is completely different. And, yeah. Oh. And, oh, no, no, go to your point. Like, look, oh, sorry. Me, this is great. <laughs> I, I, am, I, I am listening. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was also going to say, for example, that when those, but also like we're looking, you know, back at the past and hindsight is twenty twenty. but there are also, for example, players that, like who are in England who came over to play here in the States either for college or something like that, because those systems might've not been in place or they might have, you know, not been great. Okay. So that, I, I get that. That, that, that does make some sense. Um, you did bring up Liverpool and I didn't know this maybe like a couple of months ago about how you look at the men's side for Liverpool and like how they all fairness of like one of the all this money has been pumped into them. But like the female side, it's like they're on like a super like shoestring budget, and it just shows you like even with the owning rules, like they kind of know who they prioritize, right? And it's like one thing with that too, because you know how LeBron bought into Fenway Sports Group, who owns Liverpool, and it's like, and one thing that I really appreciated it was out of the New York Times. I think it was like Liverpool just won the Champions League, which is like so huge, all this stuff. But their women's team got relegated the same season, um, and it's like you have this huge influx of cash, all this stuff, like they just made a brand new training ground. I can't remember the name of it. Women's team don't even have access to it. The women's team um, in particular, like share another clubs, like they don't even have their own like Liverpool women dedicated stadium. They share a stadium with another club. The way they are running it is absolutely terrible. And when LeBron James bought into uh, Fenway Sports Group and he was like, I want to make a WNBA team. I want to have it the NWSL team. It's like, yes, like we've been asking for, or not even asking for, we've been calling for investment in the women's game, you know, across all sorts for a very, very long time. But it does bring some pause when it's like, you already have a women's team and you're not supporting them and their budget. And like, like when you think about the budgets of women's teams compared to men's teams, like a women's team probably have one-tenth even, that might even be too much of like, the men's team's operating budget and it's like if you think about you know for example the biggest transfer in world football history which i'm 90 percent sure is neymar um yeah, and let's say, neymar. yeah and he neymar. went for what like 
200 like over 200 million uh dollars more than i would make on a teacher salary let's put it like that (laughs) i mean true i think it was like all of our money put together almost um (laughs) but he went for you know over 200 million dollars and chelsea got the largest women's transfer and her transfer was i think three hundred fifty thousand dollars. like like we're talking about like like the difference i don't know between like i don't know i think of like the earth and then like pluto like tiny old pluto or something like the the change is ridiculous and it's like if you don't if you can't support your women's team which is probably you know out of all their prize winnings and all that stuff it's a drop in the bucket then it's like it gives you pause of like how would you you know grow an nwsl team and a WNBA team make them profitable give them and also give them enough resources to be profitable like the women's game in this country is great but part of it is like a little bit because of subsidizing with u.s soccer but like they've been doing these great things on tiny tiny budgets like imagine the product and all the players and all these things if they could actually be funded in the way they should be i'll get off my yeah (laughs) no hey look i love it i i love it (laughs) as someone that's like i advocate for people to like speak up for what they really believe and like as someone that's on twitter they stand up on this soapbox a lot i appreciate it i appreciate (laughs) it um but yeah like it seems like there's only like a few teams where the men's side actually gets supported by the women's side, and like for kids support like Leon, like Leon's women's team to me is more important than Leon's men's side, just about like how competitive they are with winning Champions League, and like like Bayern Munich makes like a certain effort to support the women's squad. From what I've seen, and maybe I'm wrong in that, but the only team in England I can think of that really like goes in on supporting their women's side is Manchester City. That's the only one I can really think of. Oh, I mean, Arsenal and Chelsea and even Manchester United have, I mean, Manchester United has been like a, they didn't have a team, then they brought it back, I think, in 2017. Um, But I mean, they've, Christian Press and Tobin Heath, like the, like I would say probably like the, not necessarily the big six, um, but like I would definitely say out of all the teams, um, I mean, honestly, all the teams I would say are re- like in the WSL right now are relatively supported by their men's club. Like, but I mean, t- talking about teams that are like really, really supporting, it definitely is like Chelsea, Arsenal, Manchester City, Manchester United, Everton at points. But also, for example, and kind of tying it back to Hope Powell, is that when she came to Brighton, they were in the second tier. And then when the first tier like opened up, a little bit and they wanted more clubs in they um you know kind of secured promotion some through some application but one thing that she has said many times in interviews is that she is getting the support in like through brighton and through you know the board and the men's team and things like that it just kind of looks a little bit different because i think with and like to be fair even though brighton is in the the men's side is in the premier league like there's definitely you know a big difference and probably operating budget and things like that between a Manchester city and a Brighton. But one thing that Hope Paula said over and over again is that she came because a, she like missed coaching. Um, but also that the way Brighton is doing it is to make it, making it sustainable. So instead of doing let's some, something, let's say that Manchester United did and like brought their club, dropped us, dropped money into it. Like Brighton is doing it kind of Brighton's way where they're making it more sustainable. And I think, 
And I mean, it, it's definitely been working. Like Brighton, I think, are fifth or sixth in the WSL, where I would say at one point earlier in the season, you know, they were hovering kind of in the bottom. And now they're, unless something crazy happens, like they should be set for next season. And I think they really just want to grow on momentum instead of kind of doing something that some of the big clubs in Europe do where it's like they drop in a ridiculous amount of money and then want results immediately when we know in the game of soccer, it doesn't really happen like that. Yeah. People really end up thinking that like, Oh, I'll put a whole bunch of money on it. Let's do it like FIFA. Like, no, it, it doesn't work like that. Right. It doesn't work like that. Um, so like keeping it on whole pile, like how did she end up with the Brighton whole Albion job is because of, there were some controversy with her with the England national job. Um, even though she had success with England, like leading the great, what was the great Britain women's team in the Olympics. Um, mm -hmm. Also with um, pretty much she led England to the uh, Olympics with Great Britain and then the Euros. Um, also but, also World know, Cup, got their two best finishes. Oh, yeah, World Cup her. as well. Yeah, World Cup as well. Um, but there were some haters in the group. You know, there were some haters around. Of course, there's always when a black woman's in charge. Uh, Keith Bononas. I'm assuming that's his last name. I'm trying my hardest with it. Um, no pretty much, he was outspoken about. Uh, but he was pretty much outspoken against her just for the mere fact of one, he hated the fact that he he assumed that Hope Powell had something to do with his wife getting pushed out of the national team. There's no way to run, but he, you know, he was just getting pushed out. And then secondly, he criticized Hope Powell because he thought the only reason why she got the job was because. Uh, England was trying to be politically correct and wanted to hire a woman of color. So it's like, dude, why are you hating for her? Like, why are you upset that uh, that this woman that, you know, was good and, you know, got the license, got everything, got all the qualifications, got the job ahead of you? Like, why are you salty? Right. And I, and I, pulling up this one thing, she has, um, she was interviewed for this thing called The Coach's Voice. It's not, I'm assuming it's like, you know, kind of a sort of media organization. Um, and she also, that way that when she was appointed, it was kind of a like a token gesture of like she's black she's woman like this is going to be great like <laughs> like in today's speak i would say like none of the wokes are gonna come after us or something like that um and so she like said that she was felt a little tokenized and the one thing that made her get the job and i want to read this quote was um one of the people said that she talked to said like well, you're going to be in the changing room with someone else talking and you're going to think like, I can do better than this. So that's why you should take the job. And then the other person said, if you don't take this, I'm going to, can I curse on here? Yeah, here? you're fine. Okay. Uh, I said, I'm going to yeah, take the living fine. shit out of you if you don't take this job, <laughs> which to me was really funny. And then she was like, well, I guess I'm going to sign up. Um, and I mean, she really did have, you know, a lot of success. Was she trying to get a job with like the English mafia or something? Like what? <laughs> threatening her with violence it's crazy I, well i mean i think it was a well so it was one of her friends it was kind of like a playful thing of like if you don't take this like you need to take this job you're you know 100 qualified for it, all of these things um and i mean she did have you know a, a good amount like a really good amount of success and even if you think about you know some of the low points and um you know not necessarily having the best performances like when she left in 2013 um it was after you know, they had a particularly like poor performance. Um, I like they had a particularly poor poor performance. Um, I think it was it wasn't in the 
World Cup. I think it might have been in the Euros after like putting together this huge campaign or things like that. And she in this piece talks about like she was feeling a lot of levels of burnout and all these things. Um, but even if you talk about, you know, the low of that moment and the low of her getting fired from that job, it's still when you look back, you see all of the infrastructure she put in place, how much she really wanted to grow the game in England and how like honestly she really did help grow the game in England. Like um, what is it? Ellen White, I think has no, sorry, Jill Scott got her 150th cap recently. And she was on, and like, you know, Jill Scott's a huge player in England. And like, she gave Jill Scott, you know, her first call of things like this, like put in, like, I just think about even though, even the lows of how she left the job, there were still a lot of highs and like a lot of things that she did that really helped establish the game in England, uh, like at least from the national team level. Yeah, I, I definitely see that. It almost kind of reminds me of like how um, I can't remember the announcement name, but the coach before Steve Curry got to go to state, like it kind of reminds me of that situation of how like oh. you can tell like that's supposed to be his team and like his team were winning titles, but he's not really getting the glorification of it. But like all everyone that kind of covers it, everybody knows like without him, you're not having <laughs> any of the success. Um, right. And so I anything think, else? I'll, oh, you better say oh, something. Oh, yeah, sorry. No, yeah, I was going to say, and I think with women's soccer in general, like the putting together the infrastructure and, it, you know, if we think back, even just a, and I mean, Title IX obviously has ha- has its problems and we've really seen that in the difference between the men's March Madness tournament and I'm also calling it the women's March Madness tournament because it's March and it's madness. But you can really tell the difference of, the importance that infrastructure and funding has and even just being able to set up like a U15, a U17, a U19, U21 systems um, for the national teams is absolutely huge. Cause that like, I mean, if you think about, for example, player pools and having players move up and we think about this a lot of times um, here in the States with the NWSL, but also for example, I'm going to give out like a shout out to Trinity Rodman um, who was just drafted to the spirit. And it was like, she had, and she hadn't played a minute in college soccer, which is like kind of crazy to think about, but it happened because of COVID. But for example, like the spirit saw all that she did in the youth systems for in the youth national teams. And we're like, we've seen enough from you to know that you can be a star for this team eventually. And like, we want to bring you into the system. And so you can see the importance of, the infrastructure in growing the game and also in like, you know, making the game better. I do want to ask you about what was the question? I just had it on the tip of my tongue. Um, actually it was two questions. Now I remember the first question is you mentioned something about like the big five leagues in Europe. Like what are those? Like, what are the big five leagues in Europe? And then the second question was like when they talk about like infrastructure and stuff, like this past week, I know we had um women's way for Champions League coming on. But unlike the men's, where it's all in one place, it's kind of organized. It was kind of hard to kind of follow where the women's game were because I think like the PSG Lyon game was on BN and then the Chelsea game was on like their YouTube page. Like, can you just talk about like, why is it with the women's Champions League was supposed to be like the biggest club competition in sports. Why is that like all over the place and not organized as much? Yeah. Uh... So for that, it's probably the simple, like a, a a simple answer, but at least, and I'm talking about specifically like people for us watching the States, because, you know, with like world football, like 
one place in the states will carry it and then like if you go to other places like other networks and stuff will carry it but no one has um at least my understanding of what i've seen no one in the states has picked up all of the coverage for the uh champions league so for example on the men's side like cbs has all of it so they have i don't know if they have the champions league like qualifiers before they get to the group like for them to get to the group stage but once you get to the group stage you get group stage uh what is it round of 16 quarterfinals semifinals all that stuff cbs owns all of that so it's like you're able to find it in one localized place but and i would say kind of unfortunately generally in women's football at least on on the european side because luckily cbs has access to the nwsl which means you can just go to you know paramount plus or if they're broadcasting it like on cbs like you can just turn on the tv and it'll be there which we love um but on the women's side in like in england and in the rest of europe um it's kind of like a i don't know to me kind of like a, ha- a haberdashery of different things so for example for the WSL you can either watch it through at a football which like picks up rights for very specific matches so at a football picked up the rights for like today they picked up the rights for um Chelsea versus Aston Villa and since the men's like the men's side of the game is on um an international break like I was able to turn on NBCSN and like watch it there which was great it's some technical problems but you know there's so much you can do. Um, and so on the women's side, they have, I think they're for the most part are rights for domestic leagues, but they haven't actually figured it out for um, for the Champions League yet. And so since for being, since they have Ligue 1 on the men's side, and then I, I, I think they might have the rights to the women's side. I'm not 100% sure because I only really see it. Um, if they're broadcasting it because like ESPN for some reason has the US rights for that. But it's basically like long story short, it's just like a mismatch of things. And I can't really explain why someone hasn't bought all of the things for the Champions League. Cause I know last season actually CBS All Access had I think the semifinals and the finals, which was nice. So you could just like turn on CBS uh, or like go to their their app or something and watch it. This time there's like I mean, it probably just comes to like either de- deciding to make an investment or something like that. Um, so yeah, it's very annoying. And to me, there isn't like an exact clear answer of why someone hasn't been like, hey, let me go, or at least like even just in the States, like, hey, let me go pick up all of these rights for the Champions League. But for the on the league side, I know at least for the um, WSL, you can either watch it out of football or the FA player app because they broadcast all of their games. What are the top five women's league in European European football? Yeah, and so with that, I went off of like kind of UEFA decides it as like with the coefficient things like that. Um, and off the top of my head, I mean, I I could pull it up, but when I think about it, and like also thinking about, for example, um, on the men's side, who is really investing in their women's game so for me at least and also like who's often in the the champ like the later stages of the champions league um it's the wsl which is england the frauen bundesliga which is germany um the the french women's league their name escaped me um 
Spain's women's league. It's technically called, it's like Primer Iberdola, I think is the official name. Um, and then I can't remember if either if it's the other one is Italy or if the other one is Sweden. But I would say like, for example, those are the, the leagues that have teams that are often in like, you know, the later stages of Champions League. Like you can actually look up what the, like UEFA has a ranking for them. Um, but those are the ones that I'm remembering off the top of my head. Um, also, the one thing that I do <coughs> want to add about the difference between the leagues in Europe and the leagues in like the NWSL here and uh, Liga MX Femenil is that they, in Europe, they have, you know, structures like the Champions League where you can, you know, play teams from other leagues and things like that. And here in North America, that hasn't been established yet on the women's game. Even though I think they're trying to establish mm -hmm. it and there might be some okay, reporting okay. around it. But yeah, there's like nothing there. And even, I mean, in England, they have like the FA Cups or, in, I mean, in a lot of the um, European leagues, they have like um, a version of like an FA Cup or their Club Cup or something like that, where they're, you know, playing between different leagues and stuff like that. But here in the States, we don't have any type of cup competition now outside of like the challenge cup, which kind of started last year and that people really liked, but there was, there was no kind of like, there was no kind of like interest or like interest season or inner season, like competition going on in addition to league play that they do have um, in England, France, Germany, and probably in Spain as well, and definitely in Spain as well. Okay, okay. That thank you so much. <laughs> I'm sorry to cut you off earlier. That was on me. You're the expert. <laughs> oh no, it's okay. Honestly, it's it's Wi-Fi. So I was like, sometimes I'll start speaking <clears throat> and then realize it hasn't gone to you yet. Like it hasn't like transmitted to your computer. <laughs> no, I was like, I think that's this is a street way of telling us that we gotta uh like Dave Chappelle did on his scale, like wrap it up. Like I think you know, <laughs> internet is telling us that. Um <laughs> uh, but Courtney man, I just want to say thank you so much much for taking the time out of your day to coming on our show um where can everyone reach you reach out to you and also like do you mind telling the listeners about the dope podcast that you have sure um so for me and my work you can find me on twitter at courtney stith which is just my first and last name together no underscores or anything just at courtney stith um and then you can find my podcast at it's called Diaspora United. Uh, it's something that myself and my co-host Andre Carlisle host each week, or you know, kind of every two weeks, uh, where we uplift uh, Black women in the global game. We have really good interviews. We all, um, we also do some league play and things like that, uh, and we have a lot of really cool stuff coming. And for that, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Diaspora UTD Pod. So. I'm just going to say that again, diaspora, and then it's U-T-D-P-O-D. Well, listeners, we just want to say thank you for taking the time today to listen to us. As always, you can listen to the podcast, all your podcast feed. If you want to become a supporter of the podcast, you can do so at the link down below for the minimal fee of a dollar a month, which, you know, that's $12. That's about what Chick-fil-A costs. You'll be fine. <laughs> Help us out. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, $12 is enough. Um, but thank you again, Courtney and listeners. We will talk to you guys later.